put an idea out there that I think just works for almost every publisher. If a publisher wants to get people's attention and wants to get people participating and engaging with them, they will, they will put some sort of survey out there, right? If you're a little bit old school and you grew up, you might have, you might have subscribed to Seventeen Magazine, right? And in Seventeen Magazine, you, you, might, you might have filled out a survey saying, what kind of girlfriend are you? All right? Are you a diva? Are you a driver? Are you a helper? Are you a nagger? Wh whatever those things are. Don't, don't think about those things. I'm just making those things up on the spot here. Um, or, you know, you might, you know, you might uh, more recently, maybe you, d you do a BuzzFeed survey, right? And you're like, okay, what Harry Potter character would you have been? Or what house would you have been? Or what, uh, or what kind of uh, athlete would you have been? You know, and, and you kind of fill out these different surveys, right? Now, that's something a little bit more lighthearted, but uh, a lot of us in our industries, whatever our industries might be, if we are working in any kind of team capacity, it's very likely that you and your team have used a more involved personality profile, something like Myers-Briggs, or Kiersey Bates, or the Strength Finder, or the Disc. There's all sorts of different kind of personality profiles to answer one simple question like, okay, what am I like? Who am I? And some of us, we love it because, you know, we, we, we find out these things and it's like, oh, that explains why I'm so weird about this thing over here, or that, that explains why I get so angry, or whatever that might be. Some of us are like, oh man, I, I do not want to do another personality profile because I don't need one more formal experience of being misunderstood. Like, they never get me right, and I don't want to do it any more times. So if that's you, you may, have, you may understand yourself completely, but know that there is this drive to understand who we are. See, for me, I, 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 don't, have a, I don't have a lot of fears out there, but the one thing I, I really do is I'm afraid of what I don't know. Particularly the things I don't know that I don't know, right? You know, it's a thing where, you know, you, you flies down, there's something in your teeth, whatever that might be. It's the thing that we don't know that we don't know that I'm, af that I'm afraid of, right? What if the thing that you don't know, that you don't know, is something absolutely amazing and you've been missing out on it? You may have read the Steve Jobs biography, like this big, thick biography by Walter Isaacson. Uh, I read it, and I, I actually didn't like Steve Jobs for writing. There's something about, I, about him, I, I wasn't particularly fond of him. There's something about it, I don't know. But I, I really admired him. And I, I admired what he's accomplished and, and a lot of his attributes. And the thing I particularly admire about him is that when he was sick and he was dying, he invited Walter Isaacson in to just do a biography of the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of him. He said, uh, this thing's going to be done after I'm dead, so let people know the truth of what it really is. And that's exactly what he did, and it, it, it has its impact, and it was a, it was a very good book. Uh, now, there are certain things that are true about us that we can find out like in an Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or whatever. But today, we're going to, be, we're going to talk about the things that are, tr that are not just true of us now and not just what we can get perspective on after our immediate death, like with Steve Jobs. We're going to be talking about the things that are true of us and that will still be true of us 10,000 years from now. The things that are true about us 
They're not just true about us 10,000 years from now. They will be even more meaningful to us 10,000, 10 million years from now. We're in a series called When Love Comes to Town. And we're imagining a train coming into town for the first time. When a train comes in, it brings new things to know, new things to experience, new things to see. And once that train comes into town, everything about the people in that town and everything about that town is different, and it will always be different from then on. And when we experience God's love, it's like it's things we can't unsee, things we can't unknow. Everything is different. It's not just different for the individuals, but it's, a different, it's different for the community. We want to be a church that's fundamentally for Westchester. So as we understand how God is for us, it enables us to be the kind of people who are for the community around us. Because when love comes to town, everything is different thereafter. We're picking up in our story about 10 to 10 to 15 years after love first came to town, the message of the good news of God's love to them first came to town and a church was formed and the, and the community started changing in significant and radical ways. We talked about that last week. But about 10, 15 years later, Paul, the apostle, the, uh, the follower of Jesus who started that church, wanted to follow up with them and help them understand some other things that are just really important. And so he wrote a letter, and he didn't have a lot of time or space to write a letter, and so he condensed an awful lot into a short letter. So today and next couple of weeks, we're going to look at that letter. I, I want to read the first part of that letter, but I need to give you a warning. Uh, to read this letter, it's like, it's like a theological glossary nuclear bomb. I mean, there is so much said with unbelievably large words that might lead you to check out. But may, may I encourage you, don't check out. Don't check out. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the short summary of what you're going to read in this passage, and then we'll tease that out as we go. Here's the short summary, is that in Christ, you have everything. Not everything you need, everything. Let's read the passage. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. So to do what? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you are marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So did you get all of that? Did you get all of that? Uh, brief summary. In Christ, you have everything. Not everything you need. Everything. I'm going to walk us through it in, in four specific points. First, um, you have every spiritual blessing. You have every spiritual blessing. Uh, what this means is that you have sort of every blessing that would come from the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit. That might kind of feel like foreign language to you. What is like the Holy Spirit? And, and uh, a lot of churches haven't necessarily done you many favors when it comes to, okay, understanding the Holy Spirit. There's the God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. God is three persons in one. How do we understand that? And for some, you might have grown up with this idea of not a Holy Spirit, but a, a Holy Ghost. Um, and just may I apologize for all the things that are Christian in this world, for anybody suggesting that it is a ghost, right? Because the part of the experience of the Holy Spirit is that you get to have the Holy Spirit inside of you, right? And so imagine telling kids, yes, there's the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is going to get in you, right? I mean, that's a, this is a terrible thing to actually tell a child, right? Or tell them to tell, tell anybody, right? It's just, it's just, it's just weird, okay? So, um, and, it, and, it, and, and it's gotten really weird, there's, and there's really weird expressions of this, right? Uh, a few years ago, uh, I, I was hoping to kind of teach my son a little bit more of the Bible, get him to read the Bible, and so I heard about this thing out there called the Brick Bible. And that seemed like an awesome thing. And there was this guy who basically took Legos, and he basically, with Legos, made a pictorial Bible with a different Lego picture for every single scene in the entire Bible. I can't imagine the decades it took this man. And, and honestly, he had better things that he could have done with his time. But like, hey, whatever. Anyway, it, I thought it would be cool. It ended up being kind of weird, all right? So, um, because if, if you start thinking about certain things maybe can't be expressed in Legos. For example, like what, what's their con conception of the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is what he comes up with. All right? That is, that is what you worship. All right? So basically, you've got an angry Dumbledore, a bearded Luke Skywalker, and that 13-year-old boy next door who put a sheet over his head for Halloween last year, right? I mean... He's a ghost, right? He doesn't he didn't even get it over. He's got these arms that creep out. It's kind of weird, right? And uh, for you, if you grew up with the Holy Ghost, that might be the picture you have. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can just give you maybe a different picture. The Spirit does not wear a blanket. Uh, the Spirit is invisible works in and among us and is the agent of all God's purposes. So uh, you might have wanted to get insurance or you might have needed some help when buying a house and you got an agent, right? And through that agent, all of these other resources opened up to you, right? Well, all the resources of, of heaven are at the Holy Spirit's disposal. He's the agent of all things in heaven. 
And when the earth was created, he was created by the Spirit at the word of God. And so he is the agent of all things created, all things in heaven. All things are in the Holy Spirit. And in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. That means in Christ, you have everything. Not everything you need. Everything. Let me tease it out of this passage in three basic ways, three layers. First, you have a history. You have a history that you do not know about. We don't know what we don't know, but there's a history where you are thought of, you are designed, and in particular, you were chosen. You were chosen by God. You are wanted by God. And, and for some of us, this is a hard thing to, to get our hands around that we would be wanted or chosen. Maybe we had parents who kind of endured us for a little while, or we might have just gone through experiences in life where we've either been betrayed or not wanted by another person. And so the feeling of not being wanted is quite familiar to us. And we have all kinds of workarounds like this, right? For some of us, we, we, we've solved with our activity and our business, busyness and achievement and a performance to always be the kind of person that's wanted, And we'll always do whatever we need to to make sure that people want us. But there's an insecurity under that, right? Because we are always tied to our performance. We are always tied to our achievement. Or maybe there's other ways that you solve for that through through always having a a certain kind of person in your life. As long as that person can be in your life, you can feel wanted, right? But God wanted you before you committed any sin. God wanted you before you accomplished any achievement. God wanted you before you did anything wrong. God wanted you before you did anything right. And he chose you. He made a decision. And he's not going back on that decision. He's not going back on that decision. I have a brother who is adopted, so I listen in on this language from time to time. And I was listening to somebody else describe their adopted child. And the adopted child was asking their, their father, does this make me sort of a second-class kid? And he said, oh, no, it's not like that at all. Uh, the other children, uh, they were given to me, and I have to be their parent. But you, I chose you. I had other cho- options. I could have chosen another child, but I chose you. You have been chosen. You are desired. You are wanted. You have been chosen for adoption. You've been chosen to be made holy and blameless. Uh, What this means is that it doesn't mean you go to church and all of a sudden you're better than everybody else. No, you're chosen and God is starting a work to make you whole, fully whole, to finish the work that God designed for you to be all the way. He's put his name on it. So uh, some of you might know the name Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz was the number one draft pick two years ago in the draft. The Sixers drafted him, and they, they traded an additional pick so that they could draft him. They chose him. They wanted him on his team because he was a good shooter. And as soon as they drafted him, he lost his shot. I mean, they, he lost his shot. Somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, his shot had sunk to the bottom, and he had no idea where he could find it. I mean, he, can't, he just could not shoot, which is a big problem. 
So the Sixers, what they did is that they hired a guy, a guy named Drew Hanlon, who is an expert at coaching people with their shot. And what he has done is he has put his reputation on the line to fix Markel Fultz's shot. And the promise is that when he comes back this season, we're going to have a shooter on our hand, a guy who can make the 15-foot shot, make the 18-foot shot, make the three-pointer. We're going to have a shooter because Drew Hanlon has put his name on the line to say, I'm going to fix that shot. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, one of the promises is that he will make you holy. He will make you right. Everything that is broken, wrong, twisted, or wounded, he will heal, he will make you holy, and he's put his name on the line. He's put his name on the line that what he has begun, he will complete. He will complete. Whatever it takes, all the way to the end, you will be made right. 10,000 years from now, you will know fully who you were always supposed to be. And the work of the Holy Spirit in this life to finish that job, you will look back and you'll see the meaning of all the moments that he used to produce that holiness and wholeness in you. You have a history, but also means that you have a present. You have a present that brings, that, that matters more to you now than than ever before. There are things that matter, and everything is available to you now. This passage just kind of just plows through some of these things, these sort of things that are true about you. This passage teaches that you have the redemption of your past. Redemption means that Something has occurred to purchase you out of any accusation that could ever be held against you. Anything in your past that you feel guilt about, anything in your past that you feel shame about, everything in your past that has been a wound or any sort of suffering, Jesus at the cross has paid the price to redeem those things from you, to take those things away and set them entirely aside. His blood, his suffering has purchased those things so that the guilt and shame are no more. And more than that, his actions to take those things and use them for good. C.S. Lewis famously says that God does not waste pain. He redeems it. He redeems it so that it matters. In his purposes, And for you, it matters. So you have the redemption from your past. You have the forgiveness of your sins. You were chosen knowing that you would likely spend much of your your life ignoring God. But you are still chosen. And knowing that there's going to be sins and that there's going to be failures, the plan was to, to forgive you at the cost of Jesus' life. Jesus goes to the cross to pay for those sins so they can be set aside transactionally so the relationship between you and he could be restored. Your past has been redeemed and forgiveness is so the relationship between you and God can be restored. None of your sins, past, present, or future, can, can take that away from you. You have everything, including the forgiveness of sins. 
It continues to say that not only that, but God's grace has been lavished on you in his unbelievable generosity. God is not like me when I was taking my young kids around a store. He's not like me where I would go say, I'd say, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Just He just lavishes. He lavishes. To those who want, he gives. He just lavishes grace. He doesn't dole it out. He doesn't wait for you to earn it. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, obsess over little behaviors and, and, and give a little bit. He just, just lavishes, lavishes. Like someone who just invites you into their home and says, this is mine. This is mine. He lavishes grace. In Christ, you have everything. Not everything you need. Everything. And you have an everything purpose. Because to you, he's revealed the mystery of his will. You want to know what God wants to do in this world? It says right in that passage, to unite all things in heaven and earth under Christ. One of the more difficult, frustrating, problematic things we will ever experience is just the division of this world, the division of relationships, the division of politics, the division of of viewpoints, the division of this. And there's all manner of ways to try to bring people together. And you're like, God, if you're bringing people together, you could have done it sooner. But he's not going to do it through political power or mechanisms or technology. The only way he's going to bring people together is the way he started with Jesus, through love. And through the extension of that love through his people, the church, the mystery of his will is that he is going to bring people together the way they're supposed to be together. The thing that holds the Trinity together, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are held together by ever giving love towards one another. And that's how this world will be brought together under Christ, under his loving and goodness, which means that you have a... You have an everything purpose in your life because here's the thing. Only you are designed the way you are designed. Only you have experienced the love of God the way you have experienced it. Only you can express the love of God in the way you have experienced it. You have a unique vantage point on the love of God. You have a unique set of relationships, a unique experience of influence. Sixth graders, you're, the only, you're one of the few people, who, you're, you, you're the only sixth grader that may know what you know. And, and only you know the certain people that you know. You have a unique field of influence. And part of bringing this entire world together is us experiencing that tremendous love and being an extension of it right where we are. We have an everything purpose that will matter forever. When we look back on history from 10,000 years and we look back at these moments, we will see the moments where love was experienced and love was expressed as the things that mattered most. Why? Because love never fails. Love is the thing that continues on, right? God has revealed the mystery of his will to you. You have an everything purpose. You have a past, you have a present, and you have a future. Passage describes that when you are included in Christ, when God becomes real to you and you're like, ready, say, all right, God, I'm ready to follow you, you get marked by the Spirit, which means the Spirit says, I've started here and I will never stop until I'm completed. It's, it's like a tattoo on the soul can never be removed. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes residence, and that cannot be changed. You are sealed. 
And in the biblical worldview, that is something that will not change. It will not change. You can be confident in it. You don't have to be insecure about it. That's the, there, there's going to be a lot of things that could break and change and be very, very difficult in this life. But the one thing you can know for sure is that the love of God is in your life. And that is sealed and that will not be taken away. You can't send it away. You can't shame it away. You can't run away from it. It is sure. It is sealed. Now, uh, brings another question with it, though. Um, and the whole message, if this is true, brings a question. I'm saying something very strong, and I know what I'm saying. In Christ, you have everything. Not everything you need. You have everything. Two questions with one answer for them. The first question is this. If I have everything, well, it doesn't feel like it. Another more gentle version of that question is, okay, if I have everything, well, well, how do I experience it? The one simple answer is it's in Christ. Throughout the passage, ten times in this very thick passage, it'll say something like, in Christ, in him, in love. All of these things come through the relationship with Jesus that we have by the Holy Spirit, by his agency. He draws us into Christ. And by being in him, that is how we know these things to be true. It's how we experience these things. Uh, if there's somebody, uh, if there's a concert or show that's coming into town, uh, the thing you want to hear more than anything else, if you want to see that show, is somebody who says something like this, I have a guy, right? When somebody says that they have a guy, what that means is they have somebody on the inside who could take you or me or any one of us who want to get there from the outside and bring us into the inside, right? And so if, they say, if, you, if you know somebody and they say they have a guy, that means that there's somebody on the inside that can bring us from the outside. And Jesus is the guy. And he's the one who brings us into the experience of the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That which was true from eternity past, he invites us into that everything experience. But not only that, not only do we have a guy, we become the guy. Because as we begin to experience it, we become the kind of people who say, yeah, it's real. The love of God, it's real. I can tell you, I've known, I've seen, I've experienced it, and I, and I, I know it doesn't look like it or feel like it when you're out here, but I'm telling you, you try this out, it's real. I promise you. And, and, and let me help you. Let me help you figure out how you can experience it as well. Not only do you have a guy, you become the guy. But let me take it from another angle. We don't always experience it. Uh, you might have been, uh, whether you watched the Super Bowl or maybe some other shows, you might have noticed there's this common theme in the Bud Light commercials uh, uh, about the kingdom of Bud Light. And I know my, my father sold cores growing up, and so like this, this is a violation of heritage. But bear with me, all right? So... Uh, he, in the Bud Light commercials, there's the, king, there's the king and the queen, right? And in the kingdom of Bud Light, everybody comes and they present 
themselves to the king and the queen, and when they present themselves to the king and queen, what do they do? They bring Bud Light, right? And what does the king do? He provides Bud Light for the kingdom, and that's the idea of the kingdom of Bud Light. But there's this one commercial, though, where, you know, this one woman comes up and she brings a 12-pack, and then this other person, they bring a six-pack or whatever, and they all get honored. But there's this guy who comes up, and he says, he brings this bottle. And they're like, and the king and the queen were like, what's the bottle all about? He's like, oh, it's this spiced honey mead wine that I've been really into recently. And the king and queen are like, this doesn't make any sense in the kingdom of Bud Light. Now, this guy gets treated harshly. In the kingdom of God, everything comes when you're in Christ. But if you're not into Christ, you might not experience everything. This world presents a lot of everything to us, and if we're constantly chasing everything out there, we may never ever get around to experiencing everything in Christ. Is it, if, we're, if there's a thousand spiced honeymead wines that we are into, well, God will give that to us. I mean, he's a good God. He gives everything away, but like, if you want to get everything that way, he'll let you. But if you want the everything he offers you, it's in Christ. It's in a relationship with him. And if you want that relationship, everything's there. Not everything you need, everything. If you want to go find everything for yourself and be into that, you can do that. And for some of us, it might not be that we're seeking pleasure in all these other things. We're just seeking control. We're seeking to fix this. We're seeking to do this. We're seeking, we're seeking to get everything right in our own way, in our own strength. And if that's the case, God will let you. If you're trying to establish your own sense and you're into yourself and you're establishing who you are and establishing your career, establishing your finance, establishing your retirement, and, and you are into those things, God will let you be into those things. And you might get some of everything in those things, but if you want everything, it comes in Christ. And it comes generously. Everything is yours. Not everything you need. Everything. To make very, very clear that this isn't something that you earn, that this isn't something that you transact, that this is something that you prove yourself worthy of, when Jesus was going to accomplish all these things at the cross the night before, he brought his followers together. And he didn't bring them together in a conference room and walk them through a whiteboard of the eight things. He didn't repeat to them the Ten Commandments. He didn't just say, hey, here are the rules. He, he came together and he washed their feet because he wanted them to know he loved them. And he brought them together to share a meal around a common table because he wanted them to experience family. He wanted them to experience friendship. He wanted, to know, wanted them to know that everything that he has for them is going to come through relationship. And he wanted, he wanted them to know the costs of that relationship. He wanted them to know the extent to which he would go for them. 
And so he brought them together at a meal. And before the meal, he took the bread, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you, which will be broken for you. Take it and eat. Then after the meal, he took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it. And he said, continue to do this in remembrance of me.